Canterbury fails. Their Canterbury fails. Probably never read them. The Canterbury fails. Might be moralistic or boring. Might be rhetorically soaring. Their Canterbury fails. Yeah. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Canterbury Fails. This is the podcast where we um, read a very little or unread medieval text, either in Old English or Middle English, and we also drink a relatively obscure or never-before-seen <laughs> cocktail along with that is thematically linked. Um, this week, um, uh, two things. Um, apologies for last week when in which apparently I sounded like I was in a um, toilet stall. Um, something was wrong with the microphone. But we feel that we've corrected that right now. Um, and so we're actually recording from a toilet stall this week. It's very exciting. <laughs> Much better sound. Yeah. And second, this is the first week with our brand new and soul-fulfillingly <laughs> beautiful um, new um, uh, intro song. So thanks to David Coley for not only writing, composing, and performing it, but doing so in the midst of what can only be described as a shitstorm of a semester. It has been a shitstorm of a semester, but fortunately we have fantastic, exciting poetry uh, to just read to, and talk just about. Just not tonight. Well, no, but you know, the idea is at least that we're going to have some poetry. And then we also have uh, some some fairly significant drinks uh, this evening as well. So we'll be, we'll be discussing those in a moment. But Matt, why don't you start us off with a brief description of this week's Canterbury Fail, the so-called... Kentish hymn. That's correct. This week we have we have moved into um, a, Kent. A, well, it's Kentish, and it's also a genre of poetry, which is the least likely of all the genres that you would want to read from Old English. Hey, hey, Old English poetry is that is that the one with? Oh, like, is that the heroic one with dragons and stuff? Yeah, with the, like an underwater wolf mother oh, who oh, like. Is it the lament? Is it the is it the heart crushing, soul destroying lament? <laughs> nope, not that one either. Is it the cool saint's life where like weird, crazy stuff happens? Oh no, no, it's not that either. What is this poem, Matt? It's liturgy, baby. Oh, None. liturgy, baby, sweet, <laughs> sweet liturgy. That's right. What monks chanted day in and day out for their whole lives to the point where it became so hardwired into their brains that they didn't know how to talk or write in any other way. Um, so this is the Kentish hymn. Um, this is a, uh, a piece of a sort of a, a fusion of two very important and very commonplace Latin prayers, the Te Deum and the Gloria, um, that has been fused and translated into Old English verse. Um, Sarah Larat Kiefer, who has recently edited this poem in a brand new critical edition and translation in Broadview. Um, of just the she, she wrote, No, it's a, a bunch of liturgical Old English mm. poems. Um, <laughs> um she wrote that there is, quote, been very little critical interest since the middle of the 20th century, which I can confirm because the only other published article... 1953. ...is 1952. Oh, I was late. That's okay. Jeffrey Shepard's three-page long... Yes, it's a note. It's a note that is about the sources. Of course, Sarah Lorat Kiefer has also published on it in 1989 yes. on the technique of yes. the poem. I've read both of those articles. And you've now become entirely up to date on the bibliography. I'm an expert. This is exciting for, for, for the candidate. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. 
The Kentishim is extant in a single manuscript, sloppily copied. This is London British Library, Cotton Vespasian D6, mm. um, which is a mid to late 10th century manuscript. It was written at probably almost in almost probably almost. Almost certainly, uh, at Saint Augustine's Canterbury. Um, Saint Augustine's was one of the two major early English um, foundations in Canterbury. The other being Christchurch Cathedral. Saint Augustine's was, of course, purportedly founded by the Saint Augustine, who came and tried to convert the English in the late sixth century. Which was a smooth and bloodless process, as no all problem conversions at all. are. None, yeah. no hey, problem. and I just want to point out here. I just want to jump in to say that, that, that for those who are listening and maybe aren't, you know, completely familiar with the medieval tradition, I want you to notice the high degree of uncertainty with almost everything that Matt is saying. We are what are you almost... Last week you were studying ex August 12th, 14, whatever it was. Well, I know. But, 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 you know, for the most part, we really are in the world of we are almost possibly Maybe. somewhat secure that this is what it is. Well, so yeah. it is It is an interesting field. Yes. In, I mean, there is some internal evidence to this manuscript that suggests it was, in fact... Um, it was, in fact, from St. Augustine's Canterbury. Excellent. Um, so we're almost including a sort of sure. Yeah, that. well, there's a prayer to St. Augustine in there. There's a shelf mark, uh, the medieval shelf mark from the library, the very yeah. amazing library that was there. Um, it's an it's a kind of an interesting collection of, of stuff in this manuscript. It's um, There's the Latin Proverbs of Solomon with Old English glosses. There's a Latin work on the vices and the virtues by Alcuin with some Old English glosses. Um there uh, is a Latin life of St. Macarius. Um, there is a very popular um, monastic school text, the Latin Distics of Cato, mm. um, again with Old English glosses. So, um, it, you know, it was it's a text that has a number of fairly well-known popular texts from um, a manuscript that has a lot of text from, from schools and schoolrooms and from the monastic educational world. So those texts sound kind of exciting. Yeah, they uh, don't. No? No, okay. not so much. Right. I mean, you know, I guess, no. Well, no. Um, the, the, so there is also this little suite of Old English texts at the end. Um, first is a liturgical prayer or hymn that's titled the Kentish Hymn. Um, and that's the, what we'll be reading tonight, okay. today, uh, in this episode, whenever, whatever time it is for you. And then there's a short prose work called The Ages of the World, followed by an old English version of Psalm 50, which is also in the Kentish dialect and is called the Kentish Psalm, cleverly named as well. So all titles in Old English texts are editorial for the poetry. So, you know, these are, these are generally Victorian 19th century titles that were given to these to these texts. Solid. So what I want to talk about are the two things which define the Kentish hymn. One, it's Kentish and it's a hymn. Okay, so here's a question yeah. for you. Before we lose all of our listener, should we talk a little bit about the drink? Here? Long gone. When does the drink, doesn't the drink happen? Sure, we can talk I'm about I'm just saying, I, I, I'm... I'm ready to drink this. Okay, let's, so, let's jump to the drink. So David is in charge of this week's cocktail. This is my I'll drink. let him take over. Um, one of the things that you will notice about this poem this week, if you have read it, is that it is Trinitarian, Trinitarian in the extreme. I love it. And so I have constructed three a cocktail one and one and three. Yeah, I have constructed a cocktail that I call Batter My Mouth Three-Layered Shot. <laughs> A done. It's a, a, a payon pay to a slightly older generation of poets, and more successful, I would say, than the Kentish <gasps> hymn poet. But 
Uh, I want to describe this to you, and I want to provide a little bit of exegesis uh, on this. Wow. Um, on this we drink. We end up spending more time on the cocktail. Well, as we should. As we should. <laughs> than the poem. So, uh, literally, this is a three-layered shot. Uh, it is Old Granddad's Bourbon, Fra Angelico, and Creme de Cassis with a Benedictine rinse. That, that's good. Or uh, perhaps a Benedictine reform of the glass. That's if what you I'm will. talking about. Allegorically... Oh my God! However, uh, the old granddad obviously is the father. Harsh, <laughs> burning. It's terrible to behold. It was. It, it, it hurts, right? Uh, the cassis, <laughs> which you'll see, makes up the lowest level mm, of this shot. Yes, red. and also the red of Christ's blood, redemptive mm. blood, uh, the is sun. there, and that's the son. And then in the middle, the Fra Angelico, the angelic brother. Mm is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. Now, I tried an earlier version of this where I tried to use absinthe and light it on fire. Oh. That went very poorly. I'm, I'm glad. This one is definitely better. Tropologically, morally speaking... Oh, my God. Eric Auerbach called and he One, one accepts the Trinity as three and one, one and three, all inseparable. And what that means is that you need to take this down in one shot. It is, in fact, heretical to separate the layers by drinking them individually. Anagogically... One taste suggests the oh, paradise of the life to come. I love it. So right. that's my drink. Okay. Batter my mouth. Okay. Three-layered shot. I would just like to add that he, that David's not exaggerating. Like if you, we, this, it's in a very large shot glass, and it's if you hold it up, um, it you can really see the three layers um, of of the Trinity in the single glass. And so I'm ready. All right. All right. So it's all in all in one. All in one. I guess Shagadra. Mm. Mm. Oh, old granddad! Oh, I'll tell you what, though, it's good, right? It actually—it's shockingly good. It's actually okay. It's really interesting because <laughs> the old granddad has got this like petrol burn going. It is—it is, it is a little bit like it is like Sodom and Gomorrah no, but on your tongue. But here's what happened though: is at the end you get that sweetness from this from the cassis mm. at the bottom. It's redemptive. So it's like, oh, it's been saved, and yep. then after that, yep. Hovering over it all mm. is that it's a nutty that nutty hazelnut mm. frangelicness, right? Wow. Well, I'm gonna be um, grossly ill prepared for the rest of this um, of this discussion. <laughs> Do you want but, another one? <laughs> <laughs> let me let me get to a couple things. And and David's drink beautifully brought in the Benedictine because this poem appears to have been written during the heart of the Benedictine reform, a late 10th century sort of reestablishment, um, bringing, bringing new learning uh, into English monastic foundations and aligning the sort of rule of the nation and kingship with the, the church. Um, the spearheaded by people like St. Dunstan, um, uh, St. Ethelwald, St. Oswald, um, and uh, really a sort of renewed... Um, renewed moment not only in terms of scholarship but in terms of uh, uh, poetry we think manuscript production um, there's paleographical innovation and so forth so it's it's a it's a bright moment um, in the the anglo-saxon period uh, and um, you know and this poem seems to be coming out of that now I just want to talk a little bit about two things so what defines this poem one is its Kentishness um, Kentish so, so 
if you're not aware, where, where is Kent? Matt? Kent is in the southeast of England. So, where is that in relation to London, Matt? Well, it's south and east of London. Okay, yeah, um, it's out the little. You know, if you think about Dover and heading over to France. Mm. That's the part that we're talking about. All right, that's nice. And it's yeah, like yeah, white yeah. cliffs and stuff. Sure, yeah, it's gorgeous. And um, so Kent, Kent had its own dialect of English. There were multiple dialects of Old English. Um, we have some uh, evidence for this. Uh, there's a, we have Northumbrian in the north, um, related more closely to, uh, or somewhat related to um, Mercian. Uh, which is in the sort of lovely middle, um, Kentish in the southeast, and then, of course, West Saxon, um, which is from the southwest and became the sort of uh, koine written English of the later um, Anglo-Saxon period. So it's unusual then that this is in Kentish? Yeah, there's not a lot of Kentish texts. Okay. And thus, I think, why editors were so excited to name it the Kentish Hymn. So there's that, the Kentishness... Um, is is only in the dialect. There's nothing um, distinct about its content. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think we might talk about I think we might talk about <laughs> the fact that there is nothing distinct about its context at content all. At no, all. And I know, with apologies uh, to uh, Sarah Kiefer, I did not sense... You don't buy? I did not sense distinction in its content. Well... But, you know, we can talk... So, so dialectally, this is why we call it the Kentish Hymn. So it's, why do we call it a hymn? Well, we call it a hymn because it is... Actually, it's a good question. Um, I mean, it is written in Old English verse. Some people think it was Old English verse may have been chanted or somewhat sung. Um, it is a, a song of praise. It is a song praising, so it's kind of a hymn. Um, this is a poem that comes out of the liturgy. If you don't know about medieval liturgy, you're very lucky indeed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but the liturgy is essentially the massive textual apparatus of that was performed almost every day in cathedrals and monasteries across Western Europe. Okay. And these are the sets of prayers that were sung at various times during the day, every day, over the course of the year. Okay. Um, and what is, what is just, I think, important to note here is that this poem is utterly and completely of this pan-Western European Latin sort of plainness like there's just this like this liturgical language which is no different than liturgical language anywhere else so the, and, it does not distinguish itself so this is i mean this is obviously one of the things and i don't know if you're done your intro if we're if we're already on to this bad boy but one of the things that i noticed about this was that i mean what i would say generic so generic westernness of it i mean that sort it's of so basic it is basic <laughs> it is a really chuggy poem i mean and so like i mean what do we what do we do with that? I mean, the, the, the thing that makes it interesting, I guess, if if anything makes it interesting, is its dialect. It's Kentishness. So what do we what do we do with the sort of Kentishness of its genericness? It's it's basic Kentish. What, what, I don't how do we square these two? things? I mean, the fact that we have a poem in Kentish is is interesting. One might think about why it was written in Kentish and for whom. Is this? I mean, obviously, the the liturgy was in Latin. And yeah. so this would not have been this would not have been a prayer that was part of the liturgy at St Augustine's but clearly it was written probably by a monk there and why would why what would the monk do with it is this a private devotional poem is this just a sort of experiment what do you think 
what is going on? I mean, I mean, I like the idea that it is in some way an experiment in the, you know, the, the, the what, we, a, what we call the vernacular, right? We call I, it adapting Latin stuff into English. I, well, this is, I mean, and so one of the one of the phrases that I really liked, but I think is also really, uh, and, and again, I don't know Sarah Kiefer, and so I apologize if she's listening, but I thought it was a little bit tendentious in Kiefer's analysis of this. Um, was this line, and I think it's useful, but I think it demands interrogation. She writes, the power of this poem, and, you know, there I pause. The power of this poem comes from, quote, the release of an old English voice from Latin texts. From. Yeah. And the embodiment of that voice in a new text all its own. So I'm interested in the... Well, first of all, I mean, that is in and of of itself a kind of Trinitarian thing, like the embodiment of the Latin text in the, you know. Well done, Sarah. Within the, so I I love that locution. Yeah, it's great. But I don't know what to do with the idea that it is somehow an Old English voice that needs to be released from the Latin. I mean, there's a weird sort of hierarchical thing that's going on in that construction that suggests that, that Old English was trapped there that it was held back by this latinity and then unleashed on the world i mean i find that to be suspect in the same way i find this sort of triumph of english in the 14th century to be suspect that's not the way that language and language change works so so what do we do with that like is that what's happening here what what makes this poem interesting and don't say nothing because you know i love a redemption i was about to say you're trying to dig this one out (laughs) okay so i would say Okay, so, I mean, that's a good question. Um, and if I was, you know, thinking on the spot, like, tech, Latin was the authoritative, authoritative language of Western Europe. Yeah. It was the language of the record. It was the language of the church. It was the language of power and prestige. My dog's having a nightmare. Oh, buddy. I know. I had to read Kentish him. <laughs> um, the, the, um, th- so, it is the language of authority, power. It is the language of control. It is the language of rule. It is the language in England of a, a, a what we might call, if we were being sort of loosey goosey with it, as of an of a colonizing force, right? The mm. church coming and transforming England into a to a Christian nation. Um, so I guess that's where you could see the sort of di- the the language of constraint, the language of control that English needs to release from. But I think that my sense, I mean. And I think work since 1989 uh, might open this up a little bit more. But, like, that a monk in St. Augustine's in, let's say, 968 or something like that, I'm just throwing a date out, right, would have been fully fluent in both. Right. Like, the movement between languages would have been, uh, like, there would not have been a, a... not even a porous membrane between the two, right? That this this monk would have this the liturgical language images, cadences of the Tedeum of the Gloria would have been so deeply embedded, hardwired into the the to the makeup of this monk's linguistic imagination that moving from Latin into English would have just been natural. Like, it wouldn't have been a thing. It would, I mean, so it's like, it's not control and release so much as just, like, constant interplay. That's what I would, I don't know, that's what you do with it. Okay, so, so if that's, so in, in the later in the later Middle Ages, mm. my part of the Middle Ages, the part that mm. I cover lovingly and with great 
breadth. I don't know what I do with it. Um, but there is over a, the hill ages. Yes, right. The, the downhill slide <laughs> toward the early modern All period. Goes downhill after 1066. Yeah. Um, so I, I I don't know if you know Andy Kelly's argument about the Wycliffe Bible. Um, but one of his arguments about the Wycliffe Bible is that we think of this as a kind of heretical text that circulated in the late Middle Ages when, when owning a Bible or having a Bible in English rather than in Latin would have been illicit. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's a, there's a tremendous amount of work that has gone into that, and it, it, it in some ways is a, you know, central to our understanding of what that book did. But Andy Kelly, really quite interestingly, suggested that what we see when we look at at least the first version of the Wycliffe Bible, which... You know, again, we're getting way ahead of the Kentish hymn in terms of time. Sure. But the, the first version of the Wycliffe Bible is almost incoherent in English. It's mm-hmm. a very, very close Latin. It's a very, very close translation of the Latin to the point where it doesn't actually make much sense as a English. piece of writing, yeah, as yeah, English. Yeah. Right? And what Andy is suggesting is this was a kind of crib, a kind of gloss in English for people who would have been working in Latin mm-hmm. to sort of help them yeah. merge yeah. the their their quote mother tongue right yeah. the, the, the the English with a learned language yeah. of Latin. Yeah. Do we see any possibility that the Kentish hymn can function in the same way that Kelly is suggesting the Wycliffe Bible? Can I would actually say no. I would. I would say <laughs> <laughs> say stuff it, Andy <laughs> Kelly. And take your take your eminent career at UCLA and shove it. No, what I'm saying is that I think that sure, this manuscript's full of glossed texts. Mm -hmm. You know, these are texts where people are glossing the Latin, and you know what old English glosses were for is a really interesting question. And and you know we have lots of really interesting evidence uh, of different kinds in early English, in old English about you know about. What work that kind of translation did, but this I think is the other end of that, okay. which is to say that this this is a this is a poem that has this it's fully internalized the Latin content of the Te Deum and the Gloria, and is reproducing it in Old English verse relatively fluently. I know we're dissing the poem, but it is actually fairly skillfully. Rot. Yeah, and I've, been, I'm I've got a couple. I've got a couple lines that I really liked. In well, this. I'm gonna let me read a few lines. Give us a bit of that sweet, sweet Kentish old English. Yeah, that. So yeah, let, Kentish is largely <laughs> Kentish is largely uh, made clear in terms of linguistics, in in terms of its vowels. So that's exciting. But um let me I'm going to read it. Um I'll read a few lines. You're read the whole thing? No, I'm going to read This is 43 lines of doggerel, man. No, oh, man. It's not doggerel. It's way better poetry than the white's wife's chaste or the ch- the rights w- chaste wife. You can't even say it. It's so uh, That's cuz I drank your goddamn trinitarian <laughs> shot. <laughs> Come on. We can make you another one when we're done. It's we're catching up down. with my face right All now. All right, here we go. Okay. Wuton Utan Wodrian were a drechtin hagan sleudra quidum, heaven riches weird. Luvian leufwendum leaves agend an him simlasio sea fest, Wodor upa mid englum, and on erthan sib gumana huilchum, go deswilen. We the heriath hagam stevnum, and the bletsiath billowit feder, and the thankiath. Theodor Walden. Mm. Thenus Werthlichan, Wodor Dramas, and Thenra Miklan Magna Yrena, Thae Thu, God Drichten, Gastis Mechtem, Havest on you Weldum, Heaven on Earthen, on Etcha Feather, 
Almighty God. Let us praise you, Lord of hosts. Wutan. Wutan, let us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, let us praise you, Lord of hosts, with um, holy song words or discourse discursive words or something like that um guard- it's, better, it's better if you call them discursive words that's, like that's, a, words. that's evocative i like song words uh, guardian words. of the heaven kingdom praise you in uh, oh graciously praise you possessor ruler of life and um may glory of uh, victory firm glory be to him, so we switch from you to him mm-hmm. here, always up there with the angels and on earth peace to each of men of goodwill. Mm. We praise you mm. with holy voices and we bless you, uh, merciful mm. Father, and we thank you, thank you, uh, Wutan, ru- ruler of nations, um, for your. <clears throat> Um, worthy glory joys and and the Yorena, your mysteries of your great strength Yorena there yeah, yeah. Um, that you good lord <laughs> lord god um, with strength of spirit have in control heaven and earth one eternal father almighty god Right. So my can can I just can I just say that that with the beginning of Wutan here, mm. I just want to suggest, and I want to suggest this because of your brilliant reading, because of the vowel sounds that you created, that Wutan him ain't nothing to fuck with. Wutan, yeah. Wutan him ain't nothing to fuck with. <laughs> it's good. I mean, I mean, if you think about it. There are Kiefer's right, right? Her eighty-nine article makes essentially makes a case that it's well written. It is. I mean, we have the envelope structure of Wuldrian in the first half line, and and literally line forty-three, Wulder is the last yeah. word. Glory, glory. Um, we have some interesting compounds, just the ones I just read. Yeah. Quidum, actually, that's kind of interesting. Um, Leovendum, which is a sort of adverbial construction um Waldo dramas i mean we're having we, you know there's some interesting compounds so on a line by line level there's this a parallel is, construction there and all those a lines so it's not badly written it's no. just that the content is just so liturgically bland it's like you know it's like okay my old my old english teacher in grad school mm. the great nick down whom i still love with all of my heart nick said about poems like this He's like, look, you look at a bit of it and and you think it's great until you realize it's like wallpaper. Yeah. It's been ordered by the yard. Like, there's just so much of this shit. Like, great, whatever. But, like, it's so the same as every other liturgical poem. So, so as you know, my Old English is, um, let's say, non-existent. It's just one of the great shames of my life in uh, as a medievalist. And I'm going to be rectifying that, as I've also told you, um, in the coming terms. By sitting your class uh, quietly without our administration noticing so that I can do it without paying for it. Um, they would not do that. They wouldn't. No, I don't think it would. We, we, should, we should have this conversation another time. But, what, but I, what, yeah. I, what I will say is as somebody who is unskilled in Old English, I am really impressed by some of these sort of translatory gestures. I mean, even, even as you're sort of translating on the fly with things like song words and, and, and those kind of cannings, that's really, really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate that. But you're right. Like, on the whole, and when you read the translation, this is every... 
it's every, everything you've ever read. It's every from church, this tradition. Every there's prayer. no, there's no, there's none of the stuff that we want our no. poetry at this point to have. There's nothing subversive. There's nothing sort of twisty. There's nothing you know flipped. There's nope. th- none of these things that we try to yep. sort of get our students. Oh, Middle English is exciting. Old English is exciting because check out this moment in Beowulf oh, where wow. their heathenish mm-hmm. hope is being obliterated. Here's check the, out this moment in the Canterbury Tales moment. where this there's like, some... it's hard to know whether this is for this or that. Yeah. That's the good stuff that we teach. That's actually why the Wright's chaste wife, which is impossible to say, you are correct. Especially after that Trinitarian shot you just The Trinitarian shot was not small, but I will hold to the fact that the Frangelico and the Cassis have low alcohol contents. Old granddad's old made granddad, a fire. Old granddad burns, <laughs> baby. But no, I mean, I think it, it doesn't have what we want from our literature now, which is no. that kind of no. undercutting, that charge sure. that comes with, that, that resistance. Right. This, is, this is a hymn that goes with the flow the whole way through. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's what it's, I mean, it's upside is, right? Like, we doesn't have any subversion. It doesn't resist. There's no aporia. All those things that we look for in, in you know, in 21st century reading or criticism it is exactly what you're saying it goes with the flow it, is it like expresses the... real well these these completely orthodox completely doctrinal ideas right it is the doctrinal ex-lax of old english poetry <laughs> okay it's smooth Just in and out <laughs> in and out all the way through so i mean on oh, so there's that okay um that the, that very fact aligns it with some stuff that I think is kind of interesting, but I think you'd have to work really hard to make much of it. Like those invocation that, that let's praise God opening mm-hmm. with multiple names for God, right? He, you know, the poem opens with, you know, where a dricten, heaven reaches word, leave his argon. Like it's very Cadman's hymn. Yep. And we read the hell out of Cadman's hymn. Yeah, but Cadman's hymn is really interesting. Why is it interesting? Why is it more interesting than this? I guess it's shorter. <laughs> Because it's super quick. Um, And it's context, right? Beads context for it. Right, right, right. Um, Second... It, the other thing that I think it's really interesting is that there's that there's that scene in the middle um, that is a little dream of Rudy, right? That crucifixion scene. Yeah, right? the dream of the Rude goes all hallucinogenic no, and wild. I know. Because the dream of the Rude is really amazing and it has all kinds of things in it that we I mean, as 21st like, century. I'm, I'm gold. It's like, whoo! There's it's blood, like, there's oh gems. Oh my god, it's amazing. There's this intense homoerotic moment oh, where the, he's like he mounting. Nice. I will climb and mount the cross. <laughs> yeah. I love that poem. But we have, but then we have things like, you know, that we have, we have a little bit of that, maybe, you know, at, this is at 22, through Ert Heavenlicher Lecht and that Heilige Lamb. That's a great line. Yeah, the heavenly light and the holy land. Right? Yeah, that's, that's a good. nice chiasmus there. I like that so a lot. So this is when he, when the poet pivots from, you know, the sort of father to the son, right? And, you know, he, and he goes up there on the cross and, um, and uh, there's a he puts to flight the devil. Um, he, folk, he saves the folk. He buys with his blood the bear in Israel, the, the children of Israel. Through right? That you lift up, um, that you take care of, that you you know that you heave up uh, through the holy tree. Um, 
um, of, through your suffering of these like grisly sins. Like so, there's a little dream of rootiness in there. So there might be this sort of intertextual interest. Then we collapse the back into the have mercy on us. I know, and then you just blend. So we back would, and... we would. This would be. We would, we would be all over this if it were those lines. Those aren't enough. I mean, that's good. That's a little bit better, at least, whatever. <laughs> but it's not really that great. I mean, it's like just a little imagery that we can grab a hold of because it's got the body in it and the blood and there's the, you know, whatever. But it doesn't have the, you know, cross, you know, Christ umbeclipped, like mounting the cross and holding on to it. And it doesn't have like the weird politics around translation and the weird uh, sort of politics of conversion and, and stuff that Bede's got going on with Kevin Tim. So it's, you know, it's it's got some things that are kind of interesting. Yeah. Right? And it does a lot of things that Old English poetry does all the time, right? Parataxis. Very nice alliteration. Oh, Strong <laughs> That's alliteration. the only thing that Old English poetry does. Um, there's a good parataxis. There's sort of, everything's very static. Yep. Right? Like, you can't say this poem has a plot. No. Because it's just all these it things. It is a solid block are, of praise. Yeah, and, the, and those things are eternal. So yeah. why should there be change? There shouldn't be a plot. There should just be praise yeah. forever and ever. Amen. So, I mean, it, you, there's a case to be made. Yep. And, and Kiefer kind of tries to make that case. Um, that it's skillfully written and it reflects its ideology pretty well. Yeah. So, but Kiefer, which makes it boring as hell. Yeah, but Kiefer also suggests that in this poem, and, and again, we should we should get to the rating because I know everybody's <gasps> everybody's oh, wondering yeah. how we're going to rate this and what we're going to give this. Every one. Every there's only one, one person. <laughs> no, we've gotten at least two or three fan letters, most of which have been from my mom. Hi, mom. Um... She did listen to the last one. She told me she thought it was funny. She's been telling my me that were, my whole. She's been telling me that my whole life. My parents were too scandalized by the by the rights chased wife. Mm. It was just too much. That she toys with stealing their money and not giving them what they paid for. And I'm like, that's the worst part. That's <laughs> right. It's, it's the fact that she doesn't live up to her end of the bargain that really I mean, she blows. She cheats those nice men. I know those kind men that have come to offer money for her body, and she dumps them in a forty foot pit. Oh, I love that. Okay. Anyway. Uh, um, so we we should get to the rating part. But one of the things that Kiefer suggests that I think was again an interesting argument, and 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 I think she was pushing for mm. is that within poems like this that are technically skilled, that are individually line by line well crafted etc you can see the genesis of the kind of poetry that we do praise roundly okay. now sure. that we can see in this the kind of beginnings of a beowulf or of a dream of the root or of a wanderer or something like that mm -hmm. do you find any truth to that or do you find that to be an argument that is trying to do what I like to do with these poems, which is to rescue them and From expose their, their brilliance like the diamonds in the rough that they are. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, I think that a poem can be technically good, right? And still not be interesting. And I think that's what's going on here. Like, okay. I think that... This is like a, this is like a bad pre-Raphaelite painting. Right. I mean, there are certainly ways, as a node of inquiry, the poem is sort of useful, right? What does monastic culture look like? What is the relationship between Latin and English at this point? How, what work was verse doing, Old English verse, in this very late period, right? So that's, those are all questions that are interesting to think about using this poem. But, like, there's a reason no one's writing about this poem. 
right? It doesn't do the sort of things that you're talking about. And I appreciate Kiefer trying to bring it back into our to our attention, but I think that I think that it's actually a negative case or a you know what I mean? Like a negative comparanda for something like Beowulf or for the poems that we do like, right? It's like, yeah, they could crank out perfectly, technically correct, solid verse. Mm -hmm. The monks could do it. I mean, it might have taken some work. They might have, you know, had to like draw on other books and, and whatever. But like, they could, it, it perfectly good verses out there in yeah. Old English. That doesn't make it good verse. I mean, it doesn't make it good poetry. It doesn't make it... It just makes it... You know, so then when people did write a Beowulf, right? And... and Or did write a Seafarer, it's like, of course. It's just like now. It's like we read... There's so much crap. And then it's when, when there's a good novel, we're like, this is a freaking good novel. So what I like about this is that it gives the lie to the idea that the only reason we read Beowulf is because it still happens to be around. Like, that is a fine piece of work. Oh the only God. reason we read The Dream of the Root is because it happened to survive 87 no, fires and 23 floods. I can point out a floods. whole bunch of crap that's been... That is around, like the Kentish Hymn, yeah. that... It, it's around, and so we this don't is, read. This is the kind of good work uh, that the Canterbury Fails is doing. That's right. In our world, we so. are bringing to your attention that which gives lie. All right. So <laughs> I, when I was, I'm going to rate this now. All right. We're going to rate the poem. How are we rating the poem? So, so because uh, you are holy, forever, forever good, and the only eternal God. I really actually have struggled to come up with something interesting here. <laughs> Between one um, and infinity. <laughs> and so it is actually going to be infinities. But what I learned in my soul collegiate math course that I had to take for a requirement, that was math and the arts at Connecticut College. Mm. It was a rigorous course in which I ended up writing a piece of music and playing the saxophone. Is that there are multiple <laughs> there are multiple orders of infinity. You can't have an infinity that's bigger than another infinity because they're all infinite, right? But you can have orders of infinity, which is to say that integers are a lower order of infinity than all numbers, including decimals, right? There is an infinity of numbers that exist between one and three, but there's only one integer that exists between one and three. So I am going to rank this. I can't give this because it is infinite, endless, and without ceasing. Mm -hmm. Which I lost control of that sentence. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I am literally like barely hanging on right now. I, I know. Like... That shot was no joke. <laughs> um, I am going to rank this a low to mid-range order of infinity. <laughs> which is to say that it is infinite and eternal and ever will last. Yeah, sure. Like but also design. not really quite as infinite as you want it to be. Here's the thing about infinity. Right? I'm going to do my ranking now. Okay. Here's the amount of infinity. It's really <laughs> cool. I'm going to put you another old granddad. Right. How infinite we are then. Okay. Here's the thing about infinity. It sounds really cool and it like is a mind blower and you're like, what? It keeps going forever. What? But here's the thing. If something keeps going on forever, it's just the same shit over and over again forever. God, that's right. It is the finite that gives our lives meaning. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, so and what are this, you ranking this? I am going to... So I have to rank it in orders in of In orders infinity. of infinity. And there are obviously an infinite number of those. It's one. It's one order of infinity, which I think is far more than it deserves. That's, now I'm going to rank the drink. And I've got to rank the drink in orders of infinity. I don't know. I didn't think of that. I, was, I mean... <laughs> Tough shit. That's what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going to rank the drink in order of infinity. First of all, aesthetically... Lovely, yeah, gorgeous, like right? a kind of an amazing look. I have to say, yeah. Unfortunately, our listener can't see it, but second, well, they could do it themselves at home. 
I suppose, but you did tricks with a spoon and stuff. Anyway, so that so so it was a beautiful drink. Second of all, it literally provided one with an experience. It wasn't just like a sip and that's a flavor. No. Like it literally took me through the stages of grief. It took you through the persons of the Trinity. <laughs> it did. It took me through the persons of the Trinity. Um, it had some nice sort of monastic spin to it. I am going to give it, I'm going to, I don't even, how do you do this with orders of infinity? I'm going to say it, if I gave the poem one order of infinity, uh, I'm going to give this a 10 orders of infinity. I thought right. it was an exciting, interesting, I was worried when I, when we picked this poem because I was like, there's nothing to work with here. And you came up with something really quite brilliant. So I'm going to give it 10 out of well, it's infinite. Uh, that's too hard. But yes, I'm going to give it a high... I wanted I, to have a high ranking. It I appreciate was, that. And the I beer chaser is really well appreciated. Mm, the beer chaser is well appreciated because that shot went down too soon, too fast. Um, but no, I, uh, I I guess I mean, if I'm ranking my own drink, I'm actually... And I have to say this. I'm quite proud of myself because uh, I thought that was a pretty balanced shot. I thought it had a nice exegesis that I could provide. Oh, that was good too. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought Frangelico, which is not my favorite liqueur, mm. I think actually worked in that context so i will join you with your 10 orders of infinity right. and uh we will then see you again on the canterbury well, tales no if Fails. You, if, sorry if, if you've listened if, you, <laughs> if you've listened this far we know you'll never come back but we appreciate your your service um but middle will, english next time there will be an episode next time and it'll be on something middle english episode four good to see everybody